Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It will be a fight. And there'll be a lot of death, unfortunately. It will be a fight we will win. But a lot less death. But there will be death. People should be actually kept out of the country for at least 28 days. America is not prepared. G'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Butterfield Effect. My name's Isaac Butterfield. It's a pleasure to have you uh, here in front of your eyes or in your ears or wherever you happen to be listening to this, whether it's on the podcast app, which will unfortunately uh, fall into its ultimate demise now that Joe Rogan, our Lord and Saviour, has uh, gone to Spotify or is moving to Spotify and uh, to Spotify. If you are listening to this on Spotify, our new overlords, hello. But a lot of people are watching this on YouTube, and I thank you very much. If you're new here, make sure you hit subscribe. If you're not new here, welcome back, you dirty old bastards. Ladies and gentlemen, today's podcast is with a great Australian. He's the greatest Australian basketballer to ever live. He is the absolute king of the basketballs, all right? He was, in 2005, the number one draft pick. Now, to give you a bit of an example, I Googled this recently because I don't know what I'm bloody talking about when it comes to basketball. He was the number one pick, right? And Jordan, back in the 80s, was the number three pick, okay? So by my calculations, and once again, I know nothing about the NBA, Andrew Bogut is far better than Michael Jordan. You heard it here first, folks, ladies and gentlemen, folks and ladies and gentlemen, all of you people, whoever you happen to be, non-binary genders, whatever you want to uh, call yourself, you're all welcome here. Hello. Uh, this is a great conversation with a, with a very um, intelligent man. And the thing about Andrew is he is not, like most uh, like most Australian sports people, and like, probably like most sports people across the world, they are scared to talk about the things that they actually believe. And thankfully, Mr. Bogut is not. He is happy to talk about things that he genuinely thinks. And that is very, very rare, uh, particularly in our time. So um, I hope you enjoy the conversation. I certainly did. And ladies and gentlemen, this is my podcast with the great, the very, very tall, Andrew Bogut. Righto. Now, let me ask you this straight off the bat. I'm a relatively tall human being i'm 203 centimeters you've got me by about 10 i freak out when i see people taller than me do you do the same oh it doesn't happen often um but yeah definitely is not um, something i'm used to doing is looking up to people but it happened a lot on nba court i can tell you that i bet i bet but i i look like i look the way i describe it to people is i see a midget a small person, someone who's short in stature, and I worry. I, I get a bit scared. I freak out because you don't see it very often, you know. But but that's how I react around people who are taller than me. I, I freak out a little bit. I start making myself smaller. I try to get out of there, particularly in nightclubs and shit. You see someone like powering through. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just want to let you know that you freak me out. I get tired every day. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> Go ahead and, and um, people give me the. They walk up to you and they say. Gee, you're tall. It's like, okay, what, what yep. do you want me to do with it? What do you do with it? Yeah, where's this conversation going? <laughs> I've got a mirror. I know I'm tall. People, <laughs> say, people say to me, are you taller than I imagined? I was like, why would you imagine me as a short man? I mean, yeah, it's, it's it looks small. Um, yeah, but we're also on the tail end of like, you don't really go up to short people or kind of, you know, bigger, bigger type people. Um, and say, gee, you're fat, or gee, you're short. Um, but gee, you're average height. You're a very average yeah, Tall people, it's okay. That's what, that's what ma- it always makes me laugh because but then they say, oh, you know, it's a good thing. But yeah, you still make me feel like, a, like I'm in a zoo <laughs> for the most part. I got basically asked every time. When I, when I was younger, I said, you, people asked me, do you play basketball? I said, <laughs> I, I played one season when I was 14 and I was awful. I shot three pointers all day. I got one, I think, in an entire season. And so I, I stuck to rugby league, but you <laughs> are the greatest basketballer to come out of this country. And that, that, is a, that is a fact. From my limited knowledge of the NBA, that is absolutely insane. Like 
I recently Googled, and here's a hot tip. I recently Googled uh, the draft pick uh, in, in the 80s with Jordan. He was uh, picked number three, and you were picked number one in 2005. That must give you a little bit of a, you know, a bit of a fuck you to Michael. <laughs> that's, that's a long bow to draw. I know, <laughs> but we might as well draw it. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was obviously a, a great time um, in my career getting drafted number one and going through 14 years of playing in the NBA. I think, I think Ben Simmons will... Is, is probably past, just past me now or will pass me, you know. Um, sure. He's having a fantastic NBA career. But, yeah, I mean, like I went over there when, you know, it wasn't really a, a track that was that was taken by many Aussies. I mean, Luke Longley was really the only Australian that stuck over there and had a multi-year career. Um, so one out of, you know, 30, 30-odd 30 years. Um, and then I kind of went over there and set the stage for what we see now, which was kind of pretty cool. Were you welcomed? When you went over and started playing in the NBA, or was it sort of like this bloke's an outsider? He's you know he looks different, he speaks different to everyone else in in the in the game. Um, it's it's hard because because I was the number one pick, it, it also put more of a spotlight on because other guys want to have a crack at you and and see see how good you are and whether it was deserved it and whatnot. So that was definitely an adjustment. Um, but as far as everything else, the NBA is a very individual league. You know, it's a team sport, so everyone's kind of for the most part, in it for themselves and their own brand and their own kind of, you know, jumping on, um, you know, being an influencer publicly and all that kind of stuff. So it, it really, it really was a bit of a struggle coming from, you know, the Australian culture and an Australian sport for, for how we build things here to, to then go over there. I think people may have got a bit of a glimpse into that uh, watching The Last Dance on Netflix. And I'm sure everyone in the NBA community is a bit sick of that at the moment. But to watch... Uh, watch people flock to Michael Jordan when you've got arguably people who are um, very close to as good as Michael Jordan, people like Scottie Pippen, who was getting paid a fraction of the, co- of the, of, of the price of Jordan in those years. It's, it's a strange thing to look at considering that, you know, you've got these people who are busting their ass every day on, on a team, but then there's this one dude that's... But I, I guess you see that in, in other sports as well. You see it in rugby league with people like Andrew Johns. You see it in the AFL as well. But in the NBA, it seems so much more magnified that, that the best player on the team is the god, is the goat at that moment, and everyone else is just sort of there. Yeah, and, and for Jordan, it was a little bit different. I mean, he was, he was more than just a... The best player on the team. He was he was an icon. I think Scottie Pippen um, made a bit of a mistake by taking a, a long term deal early in his career, and it kind of he took the security of having I think a seven or eight year deal at the time, and then within a year or two of playing that contract, he'd already exceeded expectations. So he kind of cost himself a lot of money. So he took the wrong gamble. Um, but yeah, it's it's different, man. Like especially now in the NBA, like the max the max contracts right now are insane. So your your marquee guy on a team, where your max guy on a team is making forty forty two million, you know, and ah, yeah, it's it's a lot of money. So it's 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 gone gone through the roof. The NBA is obviously probably the number up there, probably the number one sport in the world right now, as far as as far as you know, its brand and what it's done, and 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 China had a lot to do with that, obviously. But um, yeah, the the amount of money for superstars now is insane. Forty-two million dollars a season. That's a, that's some YouTube money, bro. That's that's crazy. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it, it, it seems. It's where does that compare with the pricing coming into the Australian market now? Like the NBA in Australia, uh, it's called the NBA here. The the comp- NBL, yeah. NBA, sorry, NBL. Yeah, yeah. I got no fucking idea. I'm a bad person. I apologize. <laughs> I. Um, <laughs> Where does that where does that come into into terms with the the pricing of a, of, a, of an agent of a player? Uh, you know, are they are they around the million mark? I know that's where the NRL is. People are talking about the best players uh, in the million. Quite, plus. I think a, a marquee, an import that's that's kind of top of his class will get you know six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand somewhere around there. So, so it's great. Yeah, it's 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 still a great great living. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of great players that come over here, but. You know, you look at the other end of the stick and a minimum guy, a guy that's not playing a lot, would be making 50, 60 grand, you know. So, um, it's, there, there is some money in the league and it's, it's really grown over the last couple of years. But at the same time, you, you know, you can't compare it to, to what's gone thrown around in the NBA in, in America. And you're, am I right in saying you're a free agent at the moment? You're, you're sort of weighing up your options? Yeah, just decided to just wait till New Year, really. Um, until, you know, this, this kind of... 
you know, bizarre time that we're in with, with the coronavirus and whatnot in the world and what's going to happen with sport. We still don't know if crowds are going to be allowed in for the next couple of couple of months. So just waiting to see how that all goes. I didn't want to make a decision now and and then, you know, go somewhere, potentially um, work out and then a season's cancelled. So I just thought I'd wait it out and see how this all goes. How long have you got uh, as far as a career is concerned in front of you? You're 35 now? Yeah, not long. How are your knees holding up? My knees are all right. It's my back mainly, um, seven foot and the back. The back's the one that kind of flares up from time to time. I've had a – look, I've exceeded um, expectation as far as playing years. Um, I had a lot of injuries early in my career that, that were almost derailing and career-ending. And we're told, I was told they were career-ending at the time. Um, so to bounce back from them and, and get to – this will be my 15th year or 16th year professional, essentially, um, is something I'm real proud of. But, yeah, I've, I've far, far exceeded as long as I thought I was going to play. But – if I can get another year or two out, especially with the Olympics at Tokyo next year, that'd be really right. nice. I, I was going through the, uh, the YouTube rabbit hole watching your highlights and, and early on in your career, I, th- I believe it was the first season was the elbow dislocation or the break. Oh, fourth season. Yeah, fourth, fourth season. Yeah. My, that was my career year. My best year, unfortunately. I had yeah, right. Was- okay. So that was that's where I got it from. It was the best year. You were killing it. And you've had this massive injury. What... What goes through your mind where you're like, okay, you're the number one draft pick. You come from a different country. Uh, you're trying to live up to all these expectations. You're, bump, you're, you know, you're busting your ass. You're getting paid good money and you're succeeding. Everything's going right. And then you, you go up and you do something you've probably done a thousand times and you come down and land on uh, your arm awkwardly. Where, where does that take you? You know, where does that take you mentally? Do you, do you start to fear that people are going to overtake you? Or I'm never going to come back. Obviously, this is a long time ago now, but where did, where did that take you? I was frustrating at the time because, you know, being the number one pick, obviously, I didn't set the world on fire my first year. I wasn't horrible, but I wasn't great. I was kind of above average for a rookie, but still had, had work to do. And my second year was better, and my third year was even better. And then my fourth year, I really felt like, hey, man, like I belong in this league. I'm playing really well. Um, was putting up good numbers. Um, almost made the all-star team. And then, bang, like just came down with a a freak injury. Um, I think the worst thing about it was it was my shooting arm. So I'm right-handed and it was my right arm. And, and it, it basically cost me two or three years of, of playing at a high level offensively. Um, thankfully, I learned how to play play some defense and, and, and be a physical presence inside the paint. But yeah, my touch my touch was never really the same after that as far as shooting the ball. And, and that's, that's a pretty big hindrance when you're playing basketball. So it, it took me a long time to get back from that, both mentally and physically. But... The mindset was I can't really cry over spilt milk. I've got to kind of rehab it as fast as I can and get back on the court. And the next season probably played with, with an arm that wouldn't fully extend. So that was unique in its own right. Um, and then, yeah, just, just one of those things I had to deal with. And it really changed kind of the trajectory of my career more offensively. Um, but it also, you know, helped me understand the game in different ways um, and really excel defensively as well. I mean, that, that seems to be from the people I've spoken to on this podcast. I was talking to um, Alexander Volkanovsky, the UFC uh, featherweight champion last week. And he, he spoke about his fourth fight before, the, before he won his championship. He had a rib cartilage injury, uh, something similar to a rib cartilage injury uh, on the right side of his body. So he couldn't fully extend with the right, uh, a right punch, which obviously in MMA is a very shit situation to be in. And his his mindset was like, okay, you know, this is fucked, but this is the card I've been given, and I have to somehow somehow capitalize upon it. My old man was in a similar situation. He played uh, rugby league when he was uh, for the Knights back in the day, and he ninety two season he broke his arm. He came back on his first game uh, for the ninety three season and broke his ankle in this in the in the comeback game. And I think there is uh, there's there's this pattern with champions that they have this setback early on in their careers. And if they can overcome that, that is their next, uh, that's their source of resistance. If they can overcome that, then they go on this path to, as you did, winning an NBA championship. Yeah. um, That's athletes generally. Um, I think the thing for me was, you know, I had a few injuries that were pretty bad and it was like, okay, first question is like what's the timeline you ask the doctor like how long what i'm looking at surgery what am i looking at um with the elbow it was i was told you know anywhere between six seven to twelve months depending on range of motion flexibility so i was like okay like fuck that i'm gonna beat that i'm gonna try to 
I'm going to try to do it in five and a half months or five months, which at, at the time was probably stupid because I came back probably a little too early and couldn't, couldn't really even still shoot a basketball, but I was back on the court. Um, so that was kind of the mentality with all my injuries. It was, what's the diagnosis? What's the time frame? I'm going to beat it. So then at least gave me something to tunnel vision to, um, to try and try and work towards. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's frustrating. Um, more mentally, um, you know, I broke my leg um, towards the end of my career um, playing for Cleveland. And that was the hardest one because I, couldn't shower, couldn't, couldn't go to the bathroom properly. Um, was, was, um, doctor basically said, look, we want you off your feet for six weeks. So I was stuck in a hotel room in Cleveland, um, snowing outside, newborn baby. So that was more from a mental point of view, that was really, really hard. And that's, that's what people don't see. Um, but then once I got through that and I could walk around again, it was like, okay, I'm going to take the rehab. And, and I was back on the court after a broken leg, I think in three and a half, four months, which is, which is crazy. So, um, yeah, just, just, I guess it's the next man up mentality and what, what's next, what can I do next? Yeah. And that, that is that champion mentality. And I, I, I wonder, I, I wonder quite often when I, I, like we started chatting a couple of, maybe a year or so ago on Twitter and I wonder if there's this one group of people that, that constantly look at your Twitter and that is the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail love your Twitter account. Every time you tweet something, they're writing a story about it and it's fantastic. I love it because you, ha- you must be the only Australian sportsman that actually says what he thinks. Like there is nobody else that even slightly uses his own mind when it comes to st- like commenting on something that is popular at the moment or people are talking about whatever it happens to be. And I guess that's such a great thing because the position you're in, obviously you're at you're, the point of your career, you're not, you're not trying to make a name for yourself. You've done that. You're now in the, in the, in the twilight years, forgive me for using that, that reference, but you're in that position where you can say whatever you want to an extent and, and, and get, away, get away with it. And I think that's such an important thing. And it's, I, I wish that, you know, I wish that existed in rugby league. I wish that ex- existed in AFL. And it just doesn't. And it's just shit. Because we don't see personalities. People get to see your personality on Twitter. It's like they're having a conversation with you. But they just don't get to see with any other sport. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, um, I've always kind of had the kind of, if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. Um, I understand that I might not always be right. Might always be wrong neither, but if you're going to ask me my opinion on something, I'm going to give you my opinion. Um, you can't really do that these days. <laughs> there's a there's a PR guy at the back of your shoulder telling you like, don't comment on that. It's not good for your brand. It's not blah blah blah. Where I was always kind of like, you know, I really don't give a shit. Like, it is what it is. I'm, I've made enough money. Um, I'm playing the best league in the world. If people aren't going to like me because of it, or, or they're going to like me more because of it, I don't. I'm not really doing it for that. It's like I've always kind of been taught that if you ask someone a question, I'd rather know where you stand on something, so then we can move on. But if if you give me some PC answer or something that you think I want to hear, then I don't know. I don't know where I'm at with you. Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we should continue to have a relationship, be friends, work together, whatever it is. But if you tell me blunt, like, hey, this is what I like to do. These are my ideals. These are my beliefs. And I'm like, cool. I disagree, but hey, we can have a working relationship. At least we know where we stand. So. I think that's that's lost in in the days of sport and entertainment just because it's that whole public perception of, of what you should be and what you should say and what you shouldn't say uh, that doesn't mean i'm going to you know be going out there saying reckless silly things but i'm you know i'm a big proponent of disagreeing with um with just just the political correctness side of things publicly and i know for a fact that a lot of athletes and celebrities that parrot all these causes and and all these you know, different things are, are the biggest hypocrites in the world. I'm not saying all of them, but a high, high percentage of them. Um, so I, I get smashed for being honest. And these blokes are doing, you know, guys and girls are, are parroting these PSA commercials about different causes. But I know behind closed doors are the exact opposite. So I know I can live with myself knowing that what you see is what you get. Yeah. And, and you should be commended upon that because it is, it is a risk, I guess. Uh, particularly for a lot of younger uh, sports people or celebrities or people in the public eye, people with blue check marks, if you will. It's, but it's, it's, it's funny to see the, the relationship that people have with people's Twitter accounts. Like people just tweet out whatever they're fucking thinking. Like I, I've said some ridiculous things on Twitter. Something that we both commented on last week uh, was, uh, was Clementine Ford tweeting out that the coronavirus isn't killing men fast enough. And Clem and I have had our uh, our run-ins, uh, so to speak, and you know I was allegedly married to her for some time. That was she didn't know about it, but I had declared ourselves to be uh, husband and wife, 
she's she's since then she's not overly happy with my existence in the world but I, I think it's it's funny to see that people with your viewpoint or my viewpoint aren't allowed to have that viewpoint and yet people like her are able to have this 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 megaphone to the world they can say whatever they whatever is on their mind they can say absolutely anything and then get away with it by saying hey i'm the victim here not you yeah it's interesting times especially you know my, my big gripe with clementine she can say what she wants but um i'm from i'm from melbourne victoria and, and our city council was funding her <laughs> like it's like Madness. All, all these all these causes from these councils all around australia they're always they're always to the newest causes and you know, which is great, good, go for your life. But then you're, you're funding someone that's basically, you know, splitting the community, not even in half. I, I'd, I'd argue not even 5% of people would agree with what she, what she said, which is fine. I've got no issue with her saying that and putting that on her platforms, but it just shouldn't be funded by taxpayer money. And I, should, I shouldn't be funding it. Like, and that's, that's a big problem. But I've, I've lost sponsors before just, be, just from being honest on Twitter. Like the way I am, a lot of people, you know, generally don't like me being brutally honest with things or, or stay in your lane. You shouldn't be commenting on politics, whatever. I've lost sponsorships because of that. And I, don't, I really don't care. Um, Cause that tells me all I need to know about, about a lot of those brands. And th these are brands that, that have sweatshops and yeah. um, en engaging questionable practice overseas. Um, how about you fix your own backyard first? You know what I mean? But um, the Clementine one's really frustrating because like I said, I'm, I'm cool with freedom of speech. She wants to say whatever she wants to say the market should determine that she will, you know, she'll lose whatever, whatever. But the fact that, you know, taxpayer initiatives are, are, um, are funding her. Um, it's pretty ridiculous. But that doesn't, what she said doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt you. Who gives a fuck? Right. But the fact that, uh, as you said, taxpayers are funding her. And if you had said the same thing, gender on reverse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, no, no, you got no, and right? not that I would say, you know, I'm, I'm married to a woman, so like, not not that I not that I would, but it's like, yeah, it's it's a shoe on the other foot, and um, you know, oh, she's a controversial radical feminist. We'll, we'll kind of let it slide. It's like, uh, you know, but imagine, I mean, you got to feel feel sorry for her son, though. I mean, geez, imagine 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 growing up and reading those uh those tweets from your mother. I mean, pretty pretty crazy stuff. Like, um, I I, I think that if if Clem and I had a conversation like we're having, we we might we might agree on ninety percent of things. You know, we might find common ground, but there is that disconnect with Twitter and, and with uh, uh, whatever platform she's using, whether it's a book or or YouTube, where you know you she spouts something and then you take it as that's what she believes twenty four seven. Now there are things that I put on YouTube that I don't agree with a hundred percent anymore. You know, I may have grown, I may have learned more about it. Maybe when I recorded that video, I didn't have all the facts, and I think that maybe that's you know okay. There is always that chance that she's not like that and she's hard line on everything, which is always a possibility. But I like to, I like to be optimistic with this, that perhaps we, we could get along. We could have a conversation. I'd love to sit down and have a chat with her, but uh, somehow I don't see that happening. But, yeah. you know. It'll be common ground. Of course, it'll be common ground. I mean, yeah. like everyone, everyone's got some, some, some common ground and that's the hard thing with Twitter. It's like it's in text, so it's, it all comes down to context, like especially if it's a... Um, a small quote out of a long, a long quote or, or stuff like that. You know, that's, that's a problem with social media. It's so easy to create outrage. And unfortunately I'm, I'm sometimes, you know, one of those guys that, that kind of gets outraged by certain things and, and t talks about them. So I'm probably a, a culprit um, in, in, in itself, but um, for the most part, social media is, can be pretty poisonous just because of it's up to each individual's brain to decipher exactly what was meant. And as soon as you have people, saying, oh, well, he's, he's this because he said that. It's like, well, no, like, have you spoke to me about it? Like, have you got an in-depth conversation with me about it? And that's, that's what social media doesn't provide. It's just 150 characters. Like, you can't really get a whole point of view across properly. And people love to label uh, anyone who has a, a differing opinion to them on any topic. I, I was reading comments and reading tweets uh, recently about that, uh, the African-American gentleman who was uh, killed uh, by those police officers, uh, well, by the police officer, had his uh, knee on his neck and basically choked him out. Um, and people are calling this dude a white supremacist and, you know, he hates black people. And, and man, that's, that's what people say to me. Like, it's just insane to put me like to... So, pe so what people do is when I make a video about 
things about uh, white guilt or about um, not all white people and all that type of stuff, which I've done in the past. People have labeled me as this white supremacist, people who I'm a racist, I'm this, I'm that. And then you're lumping people like me who are just commenting on something that is obvious to most people in with these horrible people who genuinely don't like people with different skin color. And I just think it's just such a terrible way for people to live their lives, constantly lumping people and labeling people this, this, and this. You are this, you believe that. And it is, it is a tactic used by people, mainly on the left, to discredit people, to make people look silly. You know, I'm sure you get it. I'm sure you get your, your far right, you're all this type of shit. I think people, most people who are on the right side of politics at the moment, 20 years ago would have been very, you know, central views. You know, they would have been in the centre of, you know, taking the best from both worlds. But now the left is extremely far left and the right has moved more to the middle. Yeah, I mean, I get labelled. I've been labelled far right many times. I don't, I don't pull myself in any political group um, because I think there's, for the most part, there's different things you can take out of all sides of politics that are positive and, and all sides that are negative. So for me to, I'm not one of those like this is my team and I believe in everything they say. Like there's things that both sides say that are absolutely bonkers that I would never agree with, and there's things that I agree with. Like it's like to me, it's silly. So I, I, that's a, it's 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 very prominent now in Australia and it's huge in America. Is you have to be pulled into a box politically. You're either you're either left or right. There's no in between, or there's no you know there's no quirkiness about it. And I don't I don't agree with that um, at all. Um, so I get in a lot of strife with that. But the funny thing is, the people that label you generally are the people that hate labels themselves. Yeah. <laughs> like it's they, they you know don't don't label don't label people about you know the, the, their their culture or their sexuality or whatever it is. But straight away they call you a name if they they think you're saying something they don't agree with. Um, so to me, it's, it's interesting. And, and look, I grew up, um, my family's from, from, from the Balkans, from Croatia. So I, I grew up being called a wog and copped that shit every day in high school and had a, many a punch ups because of it and whatnot. And then, you know, for people to be calling me far right, not knowing my exact history is, it just, it just boggles my mind. Like I, I, I was, I was, I'm from that family that would, if far right was in power, I'd be out of here. <laughs> my family would be going back to Croatia. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it's like, you idiots are labeling me something that I'm, I grew up strongly against and that's the land to this day. But at the same time, I probably make fun of the far left way more. Cause my, my point is the far right, I know, I know they hate me. Like I know, you know, they're on record. They don't like me. Like they don't like, I'm not, I'm not pure, whatever, pure American or pure Australian or whatever it is. Um, whereas I think the left's just so hypocritical on, on, on their whole thing. So I take the piss out of the left a, lot, a whole lot more. And then people straight away think, oh, he's far right. Like, no, I'm not. Like, I, I think both wings are full of absolute morons, to be honest. Yeah. And, and, and with, the, with the far right, I mean, you just said the far right doesn't like people of mixed race. But when you say that, you know, people who have been labelled far right are people like Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro or, or, or yourself or me. And to be thrown into that category... It doesn't hurt, so to speak. It's just like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, if you sat down, like, I, I always tell people not to read comments. That, that's my big thing. But sometimes I go through and I... It's the first thing you do. Oh, mate, sorry. I, I lost you on the old internet connection there. Uh, it's the first, you know, and sometimes I go through and it's fucking atrocious. Like some of the shit that people say. But it's also fun. It, it's fun for me because I, I read someone talking mad shit, and then I look at their profile and I realize their life is just miserable. And I, and I, uh, you know, I could I could boot them. And, uh, but that's about it. And and the thing with the internet is you you have this ability to not only for yourself and myself to go out there and talk to thousands or millions of people. Any Tom, Dick, or Harry has that ability as well and, and that's when you start having these people with these ridiculous opinions coming through and you're listening to them if you were in a pub and someone like that walked up to you you'd be like fuck off i don't want to i don't have anything to do with you you fucking weird i get away from freak they wouldn't that's the difference you know it's easy to hide behind an anonymous account and spout whatever you want to spout and, and fight for all these pauses and put vitriol on the internet so you know it is what it is like no one no one would do that in public. That's the difference. That's, I think that's what the internet's created. It's created a lot of heroes and that's just something you got to live with. Mm. I mean, people, people say like that about me. I'm a keyboard warrior. When in reality, like I talk about this shit on stage, you know, and I, and I, I enjoy it. I, I've, it's funny though. Like I've had people who I went to school with um, 
come up to me and or, or message me. I had this one girl. I, she said, "I never knew. I've, I've known you for ten years, and I never knew you were such a sexist." And it's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, no, that's not what I, you know, all the important, the majority of the important people in my life are all females. As you said before, you have a wife, you know, I, I, it's, it's ridiculous to, and I was actually, I was just watching recently on Amazon, uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's a show about a, a woman who uh, becomes a comedian uh, back in the fifties. And like, her husband can't deal with the fact that she's becoming a comedian, doing the, the, the thing that he wanted to do. Uh, she wakes up in the middle of the night just to change it, you know, take her makeup off. And she wakes up early in the morning to put it back on. So he doesn't see her without makeup. She does all these things to the point where she'll like, she'll powder her, her back and her shoulder from where her bra was. So it doesn't look too red like that. That is sexism. That's trying to treat people differently because of their sex. Not me. Uh, or, or you or anyone tweeting about something like, you know, let's not kill all men or let's not allow all men to die from the Rona. Like that doesn't make us sexist. It's, it's, it's this label shit and it's bad, man. It's bad. It's bad for people because it just allows you to live in your own ridiculous world. It's something to it grab could- onto. Just creates division. I mean, there's there's so much division today, um, especially when it comes to, to culture and race and background. And at the end of the day, I think um, you know, it sounds a little strange, but like you know, everyone's everyone's the same. Like it's it's skin color, it's culture. At the end of the day, everyone's the same. Everyone everyone showers the same. Everyone goes to the bathroom the same. Everyone makes children the same. Like you know what I mean? Like it's the same, it's the same kind of thing. So it's just frustrating. I think it just creates a lot of division. I think the media doesn't help the cause a lot of times to see what's going on over, over in the States now from that, from that um, incident with the, the police officer and the, you know, obviously kneeling on a guy's neck for 10 minutes isn't ideal. <laughs> Probably not the smartest thing to do, but you know, now that, now that the division that that's created in that community, you know, people looting um, buildings and whatnot, and that's, that's harming your own community as well, you know? So I think it just creating all that division from, from, from all this stuff online, labeling people that aren't, you know, something just because you, just because you disagree with them, it's it's just not a healthy healthy way of life um, for, for society and the community in general. Yeah, and with with that with that police officer, there was a photo that came out, and I'm not sure if it's real. I only saw it for you know 30 seconds. It, he had a hat on. It was a an old photo saying uh, "Make whites great again." I don't know if that is a photo of him, but that just goes to show that this isn't a police officer doing this. This is a genuine racist doing it allegedly. You know, this isn't. When you hire someone for any job, you've got a business, you hire someone to run the books or whatever. You don't go in and, and look at their political leaning. You don't, you don't know what they think about this, that, or, or people from Croatia or people from wherever. You don't know how they feel about these type of people or if they even care. Uh, it's the same with police officers. Are they diving deep into what, they're, what they think about different people from different races or different genders or whatever? No, of course they're not. So you don't know who's coming into the police force. Also, it's a very difficult job. You go to work every day and you have to deal with the craziest people in society. You've got people, you know, smacked out of their mind. You've got people blind drunk. You've got people with, particularly in America, Everyone's got a might or may have a gun in the back of their car. They could have anything. So um, it's a difficult job. You can't find out. You can't do a background check on someone's. Although if this dude's got a hat on that says "Make whites great again," probably 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 social media (laughs) department should probably pick that up. (laughs) It's like fucking Jesus. Yeah, but even so, I mean, I know, I know, you know, the states and it's, it's, it is very tough to be a police officer over there you just don't know who's carrying but you know that, that video was was pretty distressing a bloke's oh. a bloke, the bloke's on his stomach um with his with a knee in the back of his neck for 10 straight minutes it's like you can't put him in the car like put him in the back of the car he's got handcuffs on chuck him in the back of the car continue your investigation or continue talking to people on the street whatever you got to do but it was just just didn't make sense um even if he even if he did fly off the radar beforehand that was off camera and was kind of resisting arrest so what like you've got him subdued like he's down on the grounds like it just made no sense and i I agree with with the protest to an extent like something needs to be done but i draw the line at like looting and you know lighting things lighting things on fire and flipping cars like that's that's not going to help anything it's just going to keep it's just going to create more division between between communities it's going to you know it's just going to kind of fizzle 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 and eventually there's going to be even more violence and that's kind of what you don't want 
yeah, it's divide and conquer. It's this attitude that people have that, you know, white people are different to black people, men are different to women. And as you said, we're all exactly the same. None of that shit matters. And I, I also, I, and this may be a strange opinion to have, but I, I almost felt sorry for the other police officer who was standing there trying to keep people back because the big thing that I've seen from my experience with the police, which is watching TV shows, is that you you cover your, your partner. If they make a decision, you run with it, right? You don't second guess it. And I don't, I didn't see an opportunity for that dude to say, hey, mate, maybe you should take your knee off his neck or, I mean, maybe there was an opportunity there, but... Do, do you, how long have they been together as partners? Were they friends? You know, do they trust each other? It's it's just such a hard situation. Maybe it's a situation that hasn't arisen. Uh, it's probably arisen very seldomly. There was one gentleman who who had happened to probably about six years ago now, and he was just uh, he was a larger larger gentleman, and he had some breathing issues, and they choked him out, and he died as well. He was also black and. And this is what people are pointing to, you know, they're connecting the dots. And I don't know if the dots need to be connected. Maybe in some communities they do, but I don't think it's all, I tweeted this morning, I said, it's not all, it's, it's the fault of that police officer, not white police officers. Like, yeah, because then you're, you're doing the same thing. If you're, if you're grouping, you know, all police officers by saying they're all, they're all doing this and you're kind of doing the same thing that you're against. Um, But Look, let's just hope that police officer in Minnesota doesn't just get stood down and disappear into into thin air. Let's hope he, you know, unfortunately, I think he 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 deserves more than some jail time. So, Agreed. I think if, if they make a huge stand on that and it's public, he he gets a life sentence or something of the sort. I think it'll set a good precedent for, for anyone anyone else trying to be a bit reckless, um, you know, while they're while they're supposed to be protecting the community. Yeah, he had he has to get jail time. He has to be locked up for a, for a long period of time because if you or I did the exact same thing he would do, we would spend the next twenty seven years in prison. It's it's, it's yeah, exactly right. There's no doubt about it. Now, on the topic of the social justice and, and all that type of uh, that type of business here in Australia, are you fearful for this country, Andrew? Are you worried about this country where we're going? Because a lot of people are like, oh, Australia's you know we're not the same as we were in the nineties. I, I think it's all going to be okay, but it, it's also been a good time for people like you or I with, the, with our, our differing opinions of the mainstream media. On the topic of divisiveness, where do you think they stand, the, the media coming into all of, all of our homes, um, particularly during the, uh, the coronavirus? I remember uh, early on, it was, it, was, you know, it was daunting music in the background. It was scary, you know, dark imagery. It was, uh, people were terrified. Yeah, they have, a, they have a huge part to play in everything that's going on. Um, you know, I think it's, they love it. At the end of the day, they, they, I think the media entities love, they love division. They love, you know, the different ideologies and the protests and all that kind of stuff because it's, it's all clickbait these days. Um, I was having a conversation with a journalist I know yesterday and I was like, mate, like, where, where are the good investigative journalists gone? Like, where they, there's not many of them. And he made a valid point. He said, like, you know, sometimes we do great long form stories and, and the editor doesn't want it because it's not going to, it's not going to sell clicks. It doesn't have a controversial comment or headline. So they're kind of a byproduct of their environment. Um, and that's unfortunate, you know, and I think the media has a lot to blame for, for everything that's going on in the world. Not, they're not the sole blame, um, but they, they definitely cause a lot more. They pour fuel on that, on that already lit fire. Um, and that's what we're seeing. Like as, as far as Australia goes, it's still to me, you know, one of the best places to live in the world. We're, we're very, very lucky. Um, everything's nice, clean, safe, um, for the most part, you know, there's, there's problems like every other country, but for the most part, you're not going to find a better place to live. Um, so I don't think there's, you know, when I talk to my friends that are in the labor force and that are, are tradies and whatnot, they have no idea about all these social issues. Like they don't <laughs> talk to them about it. Honestly, like I, I do it sometimes on purpose just to, just to figure out like, am I in a bubble here? Social media is such a bubble that what's, what's trending on Twitter, like 90% of the world don't give a shit about. So I talk to my friends that are mechanics and own cafes and I'm like, oh, do you see this about this? And they're just like, what? I'm not, yeah, yeah. Like, I've got bills to pay. Like, I need to work. Like, I don't, I don't care about all that shit, you know? And they're really kind of, oh, wow. Like, it's not, it's not as big as a deal. And because I'm on social media a lot, as are you, you kind of get stuck in that bubble thinking like, oh, wow, you know, the world's going to end kind of stuff. And you're like, nah, it's for everyday people that just want to get up, take their kids to school, 
make a living and come home. That they don't they don't entertain that, which on the flip side can be a bad thing too, because they don't know what's going on. So when when there's a time for an election or when there's a time for, for different things going on within the community, they don't really care. And then these these idiots that are continuing to engage in all that all that bullshit continue to get voted in or continue to stay with stay in a prominent position within their community. So it's kind of a catch twenty two in a way. Yeah. And that that's where this all stems from is creating creating drama in your life because it doesn't exist. Like we don't have to wake up and, and, and go and hunt. Like I, I was recently with uh, with a friend of mine, Adam Greentree, and he's a bow hunter here in Australia. And I went up to his farm uh, and we spent the morning hunting for deer. And we got up at about five o'clock, 5.30. It was actually 6.30, but I'm trying to sound fucking cool here. We got up at 6.30 <laughs> and we went out into the bush and, and and, and tried to find uh, these deer. We spotted some up on the top of a ridge line. We walked up, you know, four hours goes by and the wind changed a couple of times. We didn't get anything. And we come back, you know, and thankfully we've got some breakfast there that we can have and all that type of stuff. But this is the life that we have always led. We've always had to go and find food. We've always had to go and find water. We've had to make sure our kids don't have some horrible disease and now with this modern this modern world this modern life food is provided to us we have electricity no worries we have water no worries particularly here in australia we have very very little worry other than paying the bills and this is where this comes from is this worrying about 15 40 30,000 different genders where being concerned about all these trivial matters come from is because we have to create drama within our own minds otherwise we go mad we can't not have drama it is created by people and it feeds upon itself and that's where twitter is uh, as you say this just this shit echo chamber but if you yeah. talk to people who get up every day at five in the morning to go and lay bricks they don't give a fuck about gender pronouns who the fuck's no. jordan peterson <laughs> they don't care no, exactly right and that's what I, that's what i've noticed so kind of it's kind of good to see but yeah it's I think it's generally the inner city, you know, um, in all our major cities that are, that are parenting all that stuff and keeping their their job relevant and their position relevant. And some of these, you know, HR and every department now and their hundred thousand dollar plus salaries for doing absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, you know, you can only have so many so many um, job positions for gender studies degrees, I guess. But we we could talk about this until the cows come home, but it's not going to change because, as you said, the media has to have those clicks. You know, they're their their market there is dwindling their their organizations are, are cutting back they're cutting costs because no one's buying the paper anymore so you have to drive people to your website and the only way you're going to make money from your website is through ads on that website and the only reason people are going to go to the website is if you've got a clickbait title it's like fucking youtube it's like logan paul like the daily telegraph may as well be logan fucking paul writing like quick clickbait vlogs um and, and it's the same with the HR people. Yeah, they might go, yeah, it's a bit crazy that we have to account for 42 different genders, but hey, I want to keep me $120,000 package with a fucking iPhone. You know, exactly. it, yeah. it won't disappear. And that's... No, it'll, get, it'll, it'll, it'll stay the same if not get worse in that sense. It's just a matter of us as individuals just continuing on with what we're doing and, and, and investing time in our you know, friends and families and kids and whatever you got to do. And I think just let that claptrap stuff just, just run its course, I think. The more sometimes you think the more we even though i do it all the time the more we parrot what they're doing and argue with them i think it gives them more of a voice at times so it's an interesting interesting case study in itself but yeah. um it's, it's kind of it's just entrenched itself though in all of politics at least in australia and america and, and all the councillors and all the local councils it's all it's all the same ideologies and i think that's what that's what gets a little bit frustrating when you when you're reading between the lines are you like me do you enjoy arguing with people on twitter um, what's funny with me is I generally don't, I don't start on just regular people. Like I'll put, I'll put an opinion out there and then if, you know, some, someone starts abusing me or, or talking, talking shit to me, like I'll, I'll go back and then people are like, Oh, you know, you should, you should be better than that. You should know better than that. And it's like, why? Like, yeah. I mean, if someone's gonna have a crack at me, I'm gonna, and half the time I'm pissing myself laughing, writing back to people, people yeah. are like, Oh, you know, you're so angry or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, couldn't be further from the truth. I'm sitting here like, you know, sitting here having a coffee, 15 spare minutes, um, just jump on and have a crack at someone who's just abused the crap out of me on Twitter. And, you know, that's kind of fun to me. So I don't, I don't mind doing it. Um, I've always enjoyed the banter, like in the schoolyard and, and that's continued on. I think I've brought that to 
social media platform. It's a very Australian thing to do as well, but but also in the comedy community, like that's that's a heckler, you know, like the people on Twitter who are talking shit, they're hecklers. And and the way I've always dealt with hecklers is just to just unleash, call them every name under the sun, wish their mothers horrible diseases, and then just come across as the biggest asshole in the world. And that's when I know I've won. Once once I get to the point where I keep unleashing these horrible insults, and then people start going. All right, that's enough. That's when that's when I stop because I know I've I know I've done enough. What's what's um what's next for you? I mean, obviously you're looking uh, uh, to see what happens after the old the whole Rona, but what 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 are you looking to do in your last uh, couple of years playing? And what are you? I I watched an interview with you. Uh, must have been about a year or so ago talking about you've got a lot of business prospects happening in the background, but. What do you want to achieve? You've achieved a lot, but what do you want to achieve after basketball? Oh, it's a hard question to answer right now. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that'll keep me kind of occupied business-wise and um, I'm kind of heavily invested in, in the startup industry, both both uh, in Australia and um, and the US, just, just sourcing out new companies and um, helping out new companies try to get to the next level. Um, so that that takes up a little bit of time, um, but the kids, honestly, the the kids take up a lot of time. I've got a two, a two almost two-year-old and a uh, almost four-year-old. So the house is kind of anarchy right now, especially during this lockdown. So I, I want to be around more for that. The NBA lifestyle just doesn't doesn't allow that. You know, we're on the on the road, forty-one games a year plus playoffs. So we're never really home. And when we are, we're kind of we're not there mentally because you're preparing for your next game or training. So it'd be nice to just spend more time at home. Um, I'll do something basketball-wise down the track. I'm just not sure what yet. I just don't want to do anything that's keeping me away from home uh, for long periods. So that'll that'll kind of be the you know the, the crux of it. Um, I have academy down in Melbourne. Might might pop my head in there every now and then if there's some elite kids that I think have a chance to be professionals and try to work with them. Um, but I guess the beauty of what I've done and the career that I've built is I don't I don't have to do anything nine to five. And I'm I understand I'm more than blessed to do to be able to be in a position where I don't, I don't technically have to work again a day in my life, which not a lot of people get to say, but, um, but I will, that's the difference. You know, um, I don't think you can, people think that you can just, you know, you make millions or you, you're doing your job and you get to 50 and you can make all this money and then you're just going to retire and sit on the beach all day, every day for the rest of your life. Like you'll go crazy within a month. Um, so definitely be doing, doing something. I just don't, I don't have it penned out exactly what I'm going to do. I think that is something very common amongst people who are, uh, extraordinary at what they do. They cannot not do something. They have to have something in front of them as a goal or there's opportunity somewhere that they, they feel as if they need to address. Uh, and that idea of, of retiring, whether it's from a sport or whether it's from a job and riding off into the sunset, I don't think that's real. That's that shit that's sold to you from a young age. Hey, you can't wait to work for 30 no. years and you retire and ride off. That's bullshit. That's how people no. die. They give up. Yeah, you give up. Like I'm, I think you know, I had family members that, that did that um, in their older age. They just basically they were couch potatoes the rest of their life. Like from, yeah. from sixty to the time of death, they would barely leave the house unless they had to go for, get some stuff from the shops. And that's not that's not what you want to do. You want to stay as active as you can, get out in the community, go do different things. Whether it, even if it's a hobby that you're real passionate about, try to do it every other day. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. I can't. I can't just sit at home all day. You know. Um, just drinking beers and, and, and doing nothing. You gotta, and you're not setting a good example for your kids. And they come home and just constantly see you doing nothing. That's and you're yelling at them to do their homework and, and have a work ethic. And they're like, "Hang on a second, like you're watching, you're watching the footy with a beer every day." Like, yeah, you know. and that's what a lot of kids are seeing. You know, so I I, I think the more that people address um, address that people aren't just that, that you shouldn't be working. I mean, obviously, people have to work jobs they don't like. I've done it. I'm sure you did it as a younger person, uh, but you, you remember that. And and when I when I when I turned pro, quote unquote, as as a comic, uh, I quit my job and and I thought everything would change. Um, 
and I was like, all right, I've done it. I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. No, that, that wasn't the case. I was like, okay, I want to do more. I want to do this. I want to, okay, I'm selling out venues with a hundred people in it. Okay, let's get to 500. And then after that, it was to a thousand and now it's a 2000. Okay, next I want to do 10,000. That's the big goal, right? So constantly having these goals set in front of you, I think that's how you continually become successful. And if you don't do that, you just crumbled into nothingness. You, you, you ceased your your gift, your skill or whatever ceases to uh, exist in, in the world. And I think that's just such, that's a, a crux that so many people fall into. And I think it's just, it's, it's a real shame. I'm sure you've seen people uh, in your sport and around you who have had this amazing skill and then they've stopped working at it once they've achieved one thing. Yeah, we see, you know, in, 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 at least in my in the NBA and I think in professional sports in general in America, I don't know if the stats are like in Australia, but I think the divorce rate, after retirement is like 70 or 70 70 percent 80 percent wow so it goes to tell you yeah it goes to tell you that um the guy, usually the athletes fall into some sort of a depression or they change or they just they're just not used to being at home so much around the wife and kids and it just doesn't end well so it tells you right there you, you want to be able to transition into something that you're still passionate about and that you can keep your keep your brain ticking over with otherwise you know or how will break loose in your life and, and you'll kind of, you, you will, you will fall apart. And, and that's, that shows in the stats. Like it's a crazy number. Like, so basically one in five marriages, you know, sorry. Uh, yeah. What, what is that? Two in 10. Yeah. So I mean, one in five marriages essentially survive post-retirement for a pro athlete. That's, that's insane. That's really crazy. Fucking hell. Well, mate, um, thank you very much for joining us this morning. I do appreciate that. And uh, is there anything else you want to plug? Um, anything like that how can people find you on twitter no good yeah just andrew Bogart at twitter uh, most people have probably came across my profile either blocked me or followed me so <laughs> my profile but um you know good man appreciate you i followed you for a long time since you started the youtube videos and stuff and always had a, a bit of a laugh and when i was homesick over in the states so it was pretty cool following your journey as well thank you brother i appreciate that and uh I'm sure everyone enjoyed enjoyed the chat. And uh, if you did enjoy the chat, make sure you subscribe. If you don't subscribe, you're an absolute fool. And that's straight from the word, the mouth rather, of Andrew Bogart right there. That is a quote you can use, Daily Mail. Congratulations. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, be a good motherfucker. Peace in the Middle East, be extinct. I'll see you all very soon. Toodaloo, up, up, bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.